0: Welcome to the Work Matters Podcast. In each episode,
1: talking with thought leaders and executives, Purpose Works founder Thomas Bertels
0: explores what it takes to make work more productive, valuable, impactful, and meaningful. Let's begin the conversation. Welcome to the Work Matters Podcast. My guest today is Niels Fleging. Niels is a management exorcist. Uh, he's also the founder of Red 42, which is a consulting firm, as well as the Beta Codex. You started your career in finance. You lived for a, over a decade in Brazil. You spent five years in New York. You've been around the globe, so to speak. Uh, welcome to the show, Niels. Thank you for inviting me, Thomas. It's a pleasure. I met Niels a couple of years ago, I think, as you were talking about one of your books, Totem, um, and right, for our viewers, right, here's, a, here's a view. Uh, and I've been really impressed with your work. I think you have a really interesting take on organizational development that we don't see too much. So maybe just jumping right in. Uh, Niels, what is the Beta Codex?
1: You interviewed a couple of people uh, whom, I, uh, whom I am acquainted with. Uh, my former colleague, Be- uh, Beate Borgsnes from the Beyond Budgeting Roundtable. You did a great interview with him, by the way. And uh, a dear friend of mine, Bill Pasmo from New York, I just have to mention other people when explaining what the Beta Codex is, because the Beta Codex, it has long roots in history. What we really did in 2008 when we created the Beta Codex Network and the Beta Codex as a set of principles is that we took the the work previously done by the Beyond Budgeting Movement, of which I had been a part as well. I was a Beyond Budgeting Roundtable Director for, for seven years. And... At the time, in the Beyond Budgeting movement, we had already figured out that, you know, an alternative to command and control needed to exist. It had to exist. It existed in organizations, so we wanted to understand them, but the the name Beyond Budgeting was never right. It was always wrong. It was off, you know, it was off-key, so to speak, And uh, because it seemed to suggest that this was a financial management thing or or, a planning thing or so. And Beyond Budgeting was always, as my mentor at the Beyond Budgeting Roundtable at the time always liked to highlight, it was about decentralization. So we picked up that theme uh, when we re the concept beta codex and reshaped it, reformulated it, and took it further. Uh, we wanted to highlight that this model of organizing beta, it is different than alpha command control, the pyramid model of organizing that we all know, Taylorism, and so on. We now call that model management. The social technology, yeah, which is a bad thing, a terrible thing in complexity and working with human beings. So we we took this idea that the whole world is beta. The, whole, the world is never is never complete. It's never n- nothing is ever ready. Organizations are living systems. Teams are living systems. Are, markets are living systems. Everything is in perpetual beta. And uh, at the time, my my you now ex-wife, she worked at Google, and she said at Google, not only our products are in beta, but the whole Organization is always in beta. So we took this idea and said, okay, this is like, this is what this model is about. But we have been calling the unbudgeting, it should be called beta. And that's what we did. So since 2008, we have been calling it the beta codex. We have reshaped the principles, reformulated the principles a couple of times and what was missing 20, 15 years ago in the Beyond Budgeting roundtable and what's also missing in the agile movement, the lean movement, what was missing in the total quality movement that some of your viewers might also relate to, those movements were always missing. Maybe they didn't dare to approach organizational transformation and to believe that every organization should be like that, you know, lean, agile, decentralized, democratic, this kind of thing. And at the time... Um, now, 14 years ago, when we founded the Beta Codex Network, we were convinced that organizational transformation was necessary and possible. We didn't—we just didn't have—we we hadn't figured out how to do it. And I think now we have figured it out. So, Beta Codex is the Beta Codex Movement or the Beta Codex Network, and the concept Beta Codex is about describing this different model of organizing, which is not like a pyramid but more like a peach, decentralized. And it's also about how to make the transformation from alpha to beta, from Taylorism to post taylorism happen. And and to, to make this available to everybody. That's the that's the um I'll say the, 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 the approach that we take or the belief that we have. This must be for everyone. It must be open source.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the 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 bigger part, right? I mean I think the the principles the insights as you say right have been around for gee you know in some cases 50 60 70 years right we've known a lot about this but we also i think realized that it's really really hard to change organizations because we're dealing with human beings
1: and this is where the trouble starts and and you, you just put that beautiful it 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 must be hard right but what if it isn't hard what if it's sweet and juicy and fast and this has come this insight. I mean, it's, I, I may sound like a lunatic, but I'm not not, not an esoteric uh, an esoteric at all. Much much the contrary. Uh, this assumption that change is hard, changing organization is hard. It really comes. I believe. I think. I know. I, th- I think. I know. It comes yeah. from our flawed approaches to change that we have perpetuated over and over. So in in the real world, change is easy. Change is not hard. We want to change. People want to change, but in change management,
0: we have done it all wrong, and that's why we we have created catastrophe. If what we're changing towards was better, I, I think very few people would have an issue with that. I think what I find in most organizations is when we need to resort to like, change management is oftentimes because we got to sell something that's actually not really great for the people who do the work, right? So we got to market it. We got to create a campaign. We got to it's like you know sell it to people and and again psych, to your point that oftentimes doesn't work right? people people are pretty smart
1: i mean i started this 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 kind of this line of work in the beyond budgeting roundtable in 2003 so 19 years ago a long time ago i think and when we started uh, in beyond budgeting roundtable we started this trying to bring into practice because we researched the model in the first five or so years in the beyond budgeting movement we tried to understand the model the future model the alternative to command and control the pyramid model of managing a command and command control is bad there is an alternative model we were able to describe it but then uh, the beyond budgeting roundtable had uh, corporate members corporations organizations also public organizations institutions financing this research work and they were very timid to put this to work because we had also had this these screws in our heads saying it's hard it's dangerous to do this kind of transformation. So we were stuck in that mode of we very I think the beyond budgeting model very well describes what the alternative to a is but there were some pieces missing uh, and and the clear understanding of uh, of how to how to uh, pull off very fast organizational transformation that that uh, that was clearly missing.
0: This has been well-researched, and there's, there's plenty of evidence that, that this works. And you're saying it's also easy, right? We're making it maybe right? We're making it maybe seem too daunting. So what is holding leaders back from embracing these principles? We're living in a complex world. Things are changing all the time. Traditional organizations are not very well-suited to deal with this rate of change. So, so why not? What, what's holding them back?
1: I, I would say that's the easy answer is our reflexes are, are terrible. You know, everything that we, or most about everything, but most of the things we believe about organization is wrong. Let's say the science of organizations is utterly flawed. What's, um, I mean, there's a lot of uh, business school bashing around for decades. Uh, Henry Mintzberg wrote a great exhaustive book about this in 2006, I think, abolishing uh, calling to abolish the MBA and so on. But so the wrong thinking, the wrong theory it has been taught in business schools forever, has been practiced in in organizations forever. And the right ideas, my, my son, my, my younger son, he studies physics now, and physics is so great, right? In physics, when there's a new and better theory, those people who defend this new and better theory have to struggle for a couple of years. But at a certain, uh, a certain point, the new and better theory uh, makes the old and worst theory absolute, and that kind of gets into the history box, you know. And in organizational studies, in management, in business, it's not like that at all. The old, it's like you never get a stick into the ground. The old prejudices and the wrong theory, it never gets out of people's head. I give an example. There was a terrible, terrible organizational concept, management by objectives, very popular in the 70s and 80s. I mean, it was the worst idea that Peter Drucker ever suggested and became his most successful world. It, it's, it's really a terrible story. You know? The worst idea that Peter Drucker ever uttered became a famous industry, management by objectives. That died away in the 2000s, I think. It became unfashionable. Now it's back. It's like hipstered, up hipstered. Not sure how to, yeah, it's, it's as a, the zombie of M management by objectives, it, it it put on new clothes, and it's now called OKRs. So, and, and that happened, like Matrix Structures, a terrible concept from the 1980s, created in Sweden, or Switzerland, nobody knows. It 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 has been rebaptized into uh, the Spotify model, and into safe, you know, and a supposedly agile concept and so on. So, the, the terrible concepts, they do not fade away, they are not they're not going into the museum or in the garbage heap of history. They keep coming back at us. It's sure. terrible. The most important idea for business, I think, that was ever uttered in the last 70 years or so, McGregor's Theory Y versus Theory X. We still, you know, that book was published in 1960, so it has been 62 years ago. And at the time, McGregor said very accurately, Theory X human beings exist only in the back of our head, they are as dirty prejudice against other people. Theory X people have never existed, do not exist, will never exist. Where do we stand now? Nobody has learned anything from that. People still believe that theory X's exist, that there are some in our organizations. And here it's really worse than in other companies that can do great stuff, you know. But here we have these theory X people and we have to force them or bribe them, motivate them extrinsically. So we have not gotten out of the mud of the deplorable theory X uh, prejudice. No, no advancement.
0: It is easy, but what's basically holding us back is like the outdated software in our heads.
1: But the rest is easy. So it's it's much about language, about beliefs. You're totally. It sounds it sounds ridiculous. I know, but uh, the method is really. Of course, there's method. I I, I, I with with Red Forty Silke and I, Silke Hamann and I, we developed method for transformation and for how to how to create the structure of decentralization, how to deal with performance systems in a decentralized democratic way. There are ways of doing that, but the secret sauce is really our beliefs and theories. You're...
0: So so where do you see hope Are there? Certain organizations that that in your view are further along in this journey to beta. There are there certain organizational models that that evolve as a result of applying those beta principles? by right? assuming that this train gathers steam, what kind of places do we end up in?
1: Yeah, it's not a train yet. I wish, I wish it were a train. Because I think there are good there are good intentions everywhere, you know, in the agile movement, or people like Gary Hamill. He has been writing about this stuff for 10 or 15 years as well. But you asked about examples as well. So that was, I think, the beauty and the great merit of the beyond budgeting research, to do case studies, case study research in companies that wouldn't have budgets and command control and fixed targets and incentives and very little hierarchies and that were decentralized. So at the time, my colleagues and I participated in that in 2003, on. we figured out, we found companies that did that. And you might have heard of our most... Pioneering, my most famous case, Handelsbanken, the Swedish bank, which since 1971 is radically decentralized. And they have embedded all the beta codex principles in their, in their organization for over 50 years. And they have been Europe's successful, most successful bank as well for over 50 years. Here's the thing. Nobody gives a shit. It's the same like with Toyota. If I I live here in Germany, in Wiesbaden, and there's this car company, or there are several car companies in Germany that are successful, but the biggest, you might have heard of them, Volkswagen. Do they give a damn, do they give a hoot about Toyota's supremacy that has been going on for 50, 60 years as well? Yeah, not so, not so really. They have copied a couple of things, you know, from TPS, Toyota Production System, Lean, and so on. They've done some things, but not... Not consistently, not coherently, which is why they still suffer from everything. You know, command and control organizations suffer, but the suffering doesn't create insight, and that's the, the what one might call a big learning problem. Command and control organizations are terrible at learning, and command and control in itself, just the suffering doesn't—it's like a smoker. Who suffers, 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 but cannot get rid of the smoking. That's what command control organization, Taylorism Alpha organization, as we call it, is like. Good cases do not change anything. Nobody gives a shit about good, great cases. Yeah? There are those great cases. The Southwest Airlines, Handelsbank, Toyota, W.L. Gore, Vurzorg, the health organization from the Netherlands. Or here in Germany, we have a great retail company. Six, more than 60,000 people. DM, DM great, great retail organization. Aldi. In in America, they have Trader Joe's. All these organizations, they have done this beta stuff, decentralization, for decades. Uh, In Brazil, for example, there has been SEMCO, a very well-known case. Ricardo Semler is associated with this. Uh, These great cases, they don't change the world, and we have to accept that. Cases do not change a thing because every command and control organization will look at command and control managers, managers in command and control organizations. They will say... Yeah, it can work there, but here, no.
0: So how do you, when, like when, when you deal with leaders that saying, hey, you know, I I get it, I get these principles, but but how do you get them comfortable that they kind of need to rip out everything that they have and, and replace it to a certain degree?
1: I do not see exec- executives asking this question. Well, you're suggesting to, for us to throw everything away or so. I don't see that. Uh, the executives, I have uh, the... Luck to talk to. Usually, they have been through all the, these reorganizations. They have tried all the consulting firms, the big consulting firms. They have tried all the tools. Uh, one of my, uh, one of our transformation clients, for example, a, a, an entrepreneur who, with a company of 120 people or so, he had recently tried OKRs, out of hope, you know, and and failed with that dramatically. Everything, over everything went wrong with that stupid method. And and uh, then he said he found out about our work. And, and we, of course, he had to throw out all the stuff that he had done over the previous five years. But he said, what's the problem with that? If it doesn't work, let's throw it out, toss it out of the window. And the reality is that this, the beta codex model, decentralization, the Toyota way, however you want to call it, or the Southwest Airlines way, or the WA Gore way, this kind of model it's very it's delightfully simple it's 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 much simpler than command and control command and control is very complicated you know you need a lot of stuff annual planning steering mechanisms you need to punish people performance appraisal all this thing all these things belong on the garbage heap of history they are not part of the solution they are part of the problem now there are a lot of smart people out there who know that all these things are problem like incentives and bonus systems performance appraisal budgeting Read about beyond budgeting, you will read a lot about how useless and toxic it is. However, it's not so easy to understand the alternative. If it's so simple, how does it work, you know, this alternative, this Toyota way thingy, you know? And the the answer is that once you put the periphery in charge, put small teams in the organizational periphery in charge, and the center serves the periphery so that the periphery can serve the external market, once you do that, things, Organization-wise, things become very, very simple. I remember uh, an anecdote by the founders of the Beyond Budgeting Roundtable, when they mi- visited Handelsbanken for one of the first times, maybe the first time, they met the CEO and they told the CEO, wow, what you're doing here at Handelsbanken, it's so sophisticated. And he said, "Boss, that stop there. What we at Handelsbanken do is not sophisticated. It is extremely simple. And it is only three hierarchical layers no annual planning no strategy process no bonus system it's incredible no no steering mechanisms very few meetings you know no business units even which is crazy no product managers no marketing department it's very simple and that of course this rings a bell because running a business with hundreds or thousands of tens of thousands of people Shouldn't, as a model, be more complicated than running a business with ten people, or seven, or ten, or fifty? It should be just more cells, more cells doing the business, you know. But it shouldn't be that quantity. This, it shouldn't result into stacking the organization or scaling, as we now call it sometimes in agile. It should result in you know cell division, blub and having more of the same. It should be very simple and organic, which organizations today aren't because they are still addicted to the wrong model. Yeah. So yes, we have to rethink, we have to contemplate, we have to change our mind about organizational theory and practice and tools as well.
0: I think that's very interesting when your point about the teams being on the periphery, serving the market, it's like at the center, it's like, it's like an implied servant leadership model. We're busy saying management's role is to create conditions for those serving the customer to succeed. Exactly.
1: Management executives should create the conditions, go out of the way. At Handelsbank in the Swedish Bank, they have this, apparently, They're saying in Swedish, which is like, the art of the top executives is to sit on their hands, you know, put it under your butt and leave the hands there. Don't jump to action. But it's something that's very intuitive to self-organization organizations, you know. The CEO of WL Gore, she got it right uh, 10 years ago, uh, when she described this as her role, that she, her, her main role was to attract excellent people for more. So the CEO as a, as a marketing figure to attract talent for the organization, but not to steer the organization, control the organization. That is a command and control ideology already. All this, I think all these notions about leaders and leading, they are very much command and control ideology. We should, we should drop those terms, those words leadership is a force between people it happens in a space between people when they work together with each other for each other that's where leadership unfolds or emerges but leadership is never something that somebody does so we shouldn't we shouldn't make too much of it if you talk about heroes at the top you will also tend to blame people where there is hero worshiping there is also blame assignment of blame and that is Totally toxic. It's like crypt- what kryptonite is to Superman. That is what blaming and heroism is to great organizations. Self organization cannot stand, cannot accommodate heroism, hero who- worshiping, and blaming. That's why Toyota doesn't allow blaming inside. Of course, Handelsbanken doesn't either, or Southwest Airlines, or uh, these organizations. Excellent organizations do not allow blaming because then you can never get to the root of things. You can never, never understand the, the the problem under the symptom you know yeah. to drill down and understand problem at the problem at the roots you must have the humility not to assign blame and that is uh, it's still a lesson to learn in most organizations to put it like that what's keeping organizations from becoming decentralized highly self organized we have known the solution forever you know since at least since the sociotech that uh, sociotech movement of the 1960s 70s uh, we have known pretty much what the solution is, you know, how to decentralize and so on. What's keeping us? And 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 the reflexes. Those are some of the reflexes: hero worshiping, blaming, the belief that leaders exist, uh, the belief that steering works, which makes us do planning and other uh, horrible things. You know, and steering in complexity doesn't work because complex systems cannot be steered. Period. That's it. You know, that should be enough proof to abolish all organizational planning that there is in the world, including ridiculous strategic planning and canvas bullshitting and so on. There's a lot to abolish.
0: What you're talking about is like how we work in an organization, but I think it's definitely possible to have, be an organization that doesn't work in this way, that still has a fantastic product, right? So, so, I, but I, but I absolutely agree. I think it's like all things being equal, right? Products are pretty much the same. I think having a beta uh, culture and, and setup would probably be a sustainable competitive advantage because you're just tapping into more of people's brain power. So instead of like, you know, having 40 highly paid managers that do all the thinking, maybe now we got 4,000 people that are all right, looking out in the marketplace, all right, bringing back trends and insights, all taking so like, part of ownership and steering the organization. I think you can have a very successful business with a great product and have none of these characteristics in place. Would, would you Would you agree?
1: With a lot of suffering, a terrible car company can churn out a decent car. Sometimes I'm surprised that it works. This model still works and that you, they churn out decent cars, but it works. But it, there's so much blood in that. And here, the value just flows. That's what we can learn from Toyota and Southwest Airlines and others. You know?
0: I think the real victims in, in this model, I think, are really the people working in an organization.
1: Yes. It's terrible to work in a command and control organization. It's it's endless suffering. The meetings, the terrible decision-making, the waste of time, the lack of... You, you cannot even dedicate your time to the work in a normal bank today. I once met a, a branch manager at Handelsbanken. So he told me, I came to Handelsbanken from another bank because here at Handelsbanken, I can be a manager and I can do business. I can visit clients. I can... I can do business. It's so so much fun, he said. You know? And yes, you are totally right. The suffering is not just of employees, but also of managers. You're totally right.
0: And By and large, I think you're just going to have more opportunities to tap into like the collective intelligence, creativity, and so forth. So in the US, this takes right now the context of what we're calling the great resignation. Right? We're coming out of the pandemic, people had a lot of time to sit at home and say, what do I want from work? What do I get from work? And saw a big difference, and decided right, to do something else. Right, go to maybe smaller organizations, maybe right, retire early, uh, go go different, take a take a different uh, approach. Questions: Do you see the same happening in Europe or in Germany where you are? That and and, and does it translate into managers starting to realize that they got to change the work product? To be more attractive to people.
1: Oh, that's a great question. Yes, we have this quite quitting discussion in Germany or in Europe as well. Uh, in some countries, maybe in England, this is stronger than in Germany right now. So yes, I think by, by at large we have the same movement, and and I think people have got out by, uh, by, uh, at Gallup they are probably looking like that and say, "I told you so," I "Told you so," you know, because you know the data hasn't changed. When people join an organization, 100% are highly committed, and that then drops, the highly committed uh, number, uh, share of employees drops to 20%. Why do you think that happens? Everybody's committed on the first day at the new company, and then, boom, that goes to 20%. It's not because managers are dumb. It's not because the product sucks. That's not the problem. Or because the work is bad. People make up this story, or we have been making up this story, that people become... Disengaged at work, gallop thinking, gallop the gallop thingy, because the work is bad. That's not the problem. People do the worst kind of jobs if it's well paid and if it produces I mean, we want to contribute. As human beings, we want to be part of something greater. We want to contribute, we want to perform with each other for each other. That's what theory Y, Douglas McGregor's Theory Y, is all about. In a way, we are hooked on wanting to find joy at work. So why does the number drop from hundred percent first day of new workplace, new company, to 20% because organizations suck. Organizational models are terrible. The problem is not the quality of the work. In a way, the quality of the work is eroded because command and control just sucks. It's, it's horrible. It's terrible. Um, and and I think, no, we are not terrible companies that are now suffering the loss, the drain, the people drain. They, uh, companies are not By themselves, companies do not think, but managers, executives, they're not drawing the right conclusions right now. I think they are drawing wrong conclusions. For example, that we have too little people, too few people, or people are lazy, or we have to whatever. They're drawing strange conclusions. I don't see the right conclusions being drawn.
0: But that's a a work design question, right? So in that sense, I think uh, I've been listening to you, and, and I think people actually dislike oftentimes the work without even knowing it, because, right, same as beta codics, right, those principles have been proven out, right, over five decades, and we're kind of ignoring them at our own peril, I think we're also ignoring at our own peril, what we know makes a good job. And and I think there's some interesting parallels that I see, and, and maybe that's just a space that I'm super excited about, right? But we know that people want to do something that's meaningful, right? They want to do something from start to finish. They want to use a couple of different skills. They want to know that what they're doing matters to somebody. Um, and they want to have autonomy in figuring out how that work gets done. And they want to know how they're doing, right? So so for me, that boils down to a design question, though, right? Because somebody made the decision as like what this job is about. And, and right, the job description, is, as Bill Passmore said, It not only defines what your job is, but also says what your job is not. And so I think a lot of people go to work in these organizations and the work is terrible because every day there's a little less autonomy, there's a little less decision-making, there's a little less sense of like, what the overall thing is that we're here trying to accomplish together. Um, And and I feel like that, that I think is a huge opportunity is to say, let's step back and let's really create so I can hold jobs. There are customer alliance. So we don't need all these managers to tell people what to do and how to do it. And so forth.
1: Yes. Managers could do something much, much better. I always tell HR people, yes, we will need in better organizations. You need less HR people. That's true. But HR people deserve to do something much more interesting than HR as well. You know, uh, the same goes for managers. There's a lot of value creation to, to be dealt with in, in better organizations, a lot of business problems, actual business problems. But what you said is precisely to the point, command and control stifles everything. Human potential, human motivation, and the joy at work. It's, it's almost impossible in a command and control organization to enjoy the work. And work is the most enjoyable thing. And it's not, again, not, it's, not the kind, it's not about the kind of work. A Toyota, for example, which, is, which has always, I find that mind-boggling. The car manufacturer with the least amount of automatization in the world. In other words, the car manufacturer with most manual labor to do is Toyota. They are less automatized than the other companies. Still, they're much more profitable. And the work is probably more fun. And why? Because at companies like Toyota, they preserve the, the pride of craftsmanship. Which if you only talk about, oh, machines are better, robots are better. Automatization is so great. Ah, let's make it digital. Digital transformation, upside down. It That kills the pride of craftsmanship, of course. it's This kind of tech ideology, Silicon Valley ideology, kills, it's an antidote to uh, crafts um, pride of craftsmanship. So we also have to take care, beta organizations take great care not to automatize too much, to have people understand with profoundness with philosophy, so to speak, the value creation the essence of their value creation most organizations have, have automatized things that are essential or i give you a better example the best example i think that exists in today's world one of the things that should be less automatized in the world is recruiting recruiting is highly complex it doesn't bode well to automatize it but so many organizations have are using you know external recruiters and softwares to select the right curriculums, and pre-selection, and whatever. And they do everything with bots, and blips, and processes, and algorithms. There are companies that I know. They are incapable of recruiting decent personnel, decent people, capable people, because their process of recruiting is just too dumb, too automatized, too, alg- too, too much too digitized, so to digitize. The opposite, what beta organizations do is the opposite. They let teams recruit new team members. We call that peer recruiting. Don't automatize, you know. Uh, take a look, let humans take a look at the at the curri- at the cover letters or curricula or whatever you ha- whatever you receive. Let, let team members do the, the recruiting, you know, the inter job interviews, and not external recruiters, not HR people. Don't let managers or HR people make the decision, but let the team, every team member be part of the decision if they, if they care, and they will care.
0: No, I, I, would, I would 100% agree with you on the technology side. And I feel like, right, I mean, I you know, started my career in the early 90s, and that's know when computers really started to take over in the workplace. Um, and I feel that we've been on this 30-year journey where the answer to everything has to be technology. We're throwing more and more money at it and we're creating so like, bigger and bigger problems for it, right? Because it's so hard to rip out this technology. It's so hard to make all these different tools work seamlessly with each other. And so we just end up putting human beings like in the middle, as like human interfaces and human middleware that, that gotta like, you know, type in information from one system into the next system. And so I think that's probably, in my view, the worst of all worlds, right? Where you have like technology that doesn't really help to get the work done, but actually gets in the way of doing the work.
1: The overwhelming share of organizations today is still stuck in command and control mode. We, can, if we even consider it normal, and we consider the alternative model like Southwest Airlines, Toyota, we consider consider them abnormal organizations. We have we have gone so far, you know. We've gone so far on the dark side that we consider the light abnormal. Um, So, organizations in Japan, in uh, Germany, in the US, everywhere in the world, they are infested with control ideology. I think this is very important to keep in mind. Uh, The ideology is very much in us, like assuming that people need to be motivated and extrinsically motivated and forced and bribed and steered and need to give them orientation and fix targets. That's ideology. It's philosophy that's deep. Most managers have some, even employees, you know, everybody at work. Most of us have some part of them that believes that this is true. That it works. Theory X is true. Theory X's who need to be dealt with. And this philosophy, it needs to be, of course, it needs to be uh, It's. it's like we need a renaissance of Humanist thinking in organizations. We need, oh, we need the first redesigns of uh, humanist thinking in organizations. We need to finally embrace democracy at the workplace. We need, um, but we also need to understand that, you know, taking human beings as what they are, which are self motivated, capable of self organization and so on, that this has very specific consequences for the way we should design organizations. Uh, I, I'm, I'm very influenced by people like Bill Persimo, as you know and also colleagues of his like uh, Paul Tolczynski uh, who now lives in Phoenix a great guy who has cared for organizational design for decades and but, but still if you look at books about organization, design you only find command and control ideology it doesn't go beyond centralization and we don't need decentralization I repeat this word over and over right decentralization means Giving power to small teams in the periphery. Mini teams or cells that work like mini companies, you know, and that is the only way to democratize organizations, to create even to turn large to turn even large organizations into highly uh, self-organized structures. Yeah. We need to decentralize them. Uh, there's no way around it. And this insight, it had, the coin hasn't dropped in most organizations. It's, it's still a lesson to learn. Once we learn it, there is method of how to transform.
0: So Niels, if people listen to this and they say, oh my God, this this makes a ton of sense, right? I mean, how do they learn more about your approach? Where should they go? Uh,
1: the first thing I would say is join the community. Uh, the Beta Codex Network is for everyone. Uh, there is it's it's a not really not just not for profit. It's also a not for business thing. It's it's just a really a virtual thing, and everybody can join. It's open source. Uh, so betacodex.org is the website, um, but also um, these approaches I talked about. We call them self structure design. Uh, that's the org design approach we created. Self structure design or relative targets. That's the, the approach to performance systems that also Biartem Boxness talked about a little bit in podcast episode with him. That's called Relative Targets. And we also created this approach for organizational transformation. This is not to market the book. It is also to market the book, but here's the thing. This is also an open source approach. And this open space beta is actually it's rooted in an approach invented by an American from the East Coast, Daniel Mesick. And he is an Agilist. And he had this idea that if you want to, if you have tons of software developers, like 600 software developers, and you want to help them adopt Scrum. How do you do that? Six hundred people. You know, you don't want to start with a pilot, and then years later, the others get to do it as well, and they are forced or bribed right to do it. So, what if uh, teams got the chance to adopt that very quick? And from this approach of his, Open Space Agility, we derived an approach to transforming entire organizations, turning every organization into Toyota within just ninety days. And these approaches work. It's, I'm not saying this to, you know, to, 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 to to sell the book or anything. But the point is that change management, even the Cotter approach to change, or what we call organizational development, these approaches, yes, the methods we employ there, they usually fail because they lack a set of principles. They lack time boxing. They're too slow. They end, end up they end fizzling out. I've seen this many times for myself maybe you've seen it in your work as well change efforts fizzling out ending nowhere after years and years so a great contemporary approach to transformation needs to be time boxed it needs to involve every everybody all at once and then everybody to work the system within a certain time spent 90 days as we say and it needs to be you know this kind of change approach it needs to be as self-organized as the model we want to Move to, which is about self organization and decentralization. So, why not involve everybody all at once to work the system, not the people, and then we can get this shit done in 90 days? Uh, some of the secrets we only figured them out with this uh, with open space beta. Yeah? The time boxing, involving everybody at once, not creating a guiding or a coalition, not at all, but to make transformation invitation based. At the beginning of a transformation, Somebody, we call that figure the sponsor, needs to ask everybody, do you want to join me, the sponsor, in doing this together for 90 days? Then we will begin in a great open space conference and end in a great open space conference. And in between, we transform the company just or the organization in just ninety days.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm a big fan of open space technology. I think it's a great way to invite people in, right? I mean, the law of two feet, right? Um, I, I, think it's it's beautiful. I think it's simple, um, and I think it's respectful to say, listen, right? Contribute as long as you want, as long as you can, and if 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 you once you're done, go do something else, right? I just think that that's very nice. And in a way, open space is a, a open space. Uh...
1: The open space technology approach developed by another American, Harrison Owen, in the 1980s. It's another way of of creating a beta organization on a minor, for a moment, within this format. Open space is a way of creating beta, self organized, highly radically centralized, uh, decentralized, and self organized conditions just for the for the moment so to speak of the open space conference so it's very well open space technology is very well suited to uh, to uh, to invite people and to have them sign up and commit to tr- doing the transformation uh, together yeah it's a brilliant approach yeah and and uh, and to use it to use open space twice to time box the transformation period that's just a brilliant idea beautiful idea and sociologically, there's everything in that that uh,
0: my heroes like
1: Kurt Levine, uh, Eric Trist, uh, uh, Fred Emery, and so on, and also Russell Eckhoff, of course, Marvin Weisbord, uh, those pioneers, they were always looking for ways to engage as many people, to bring the whole system in the room, as one of my friends Paul Zoczynski says, you know, we need to bring everybody in the room. And that is, I think that's only possible with with a method method that's so simple as open space.
0: It's very simple, delightfully simple. So I I think that's a really interesting innovation and and I applaud you for that. Niels, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to share with us your thoughts on better and what leaders can do to make work more meaningful and productive and valuable and impactful. Um, So thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me. It was a pleasure. And I'm looking forward to hearing more sessions, more and more recordings of your podcast. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this discussion.
0: If you did, be sure to subscribe, like, share, or comment. Until next time, let's make work matter.